Welcome to Project Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth. Welcome to Project Vox Populi, where the people speak their truth. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I want to thank you for joining me. Please visit VeritasRadio.com to listen to the entire episode. Before I introduce Christopher Bledsoe Sr., tonight's witness on Project Vox Populi, I want to give you some background on how I met Chris and how I learned of his story. You may have heard me say that a few weeks ago, I was privileged to have been invited to a gathering of minds in Philadelphia. Among the participants were many of the names that you have heard on this very program. One of them was James Fox. During the main event that took place the last night of this gathering, James Fox approached me and told me of Chris Bledsoe's story. He told me that I needed to meet this gentleman and that he had a very important story to tell and emphasized that again and again. He finally introduced me to Chris and his wife. After I listened to an overview of his story, I knew right then that I had to share it with all of you on Vox Populi. There have been many UFO cases addressed on various television documentaries throughout the years. Many of these are forgettable, many are biased, and then there are a few that present the facts as they are. What you are about to hear tonight, directly from the witness, is an extremely compelling case of UFO sightings, an alien encounter, and possible alien abduction. It all began on January 8, 2007, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the banks of the Cape Fear River. The main witness in this case is Christopher Bledsoe Sr., Bledsoe, a successful builder and commercial pilot, was well-liked and respected in his community. On the day of the strange events, he was fishing with four other men, Donnie Ackerman, Gene Robinson, David MacDonald, and Chris Bledsoe Jr. Ackerman, Robinson, and MacDonald worked for him as framing subcontractors. And here's some background on the witness. Christopher Bledsoe is a commercial pilot and from 1986 to 2005, owned an award-winning construction business in Fayetteville, North Carolina. He was nominated as Businessman of the Year in 2003 by the National Republican Congressional Committee and was invited to President George Bush's inauguration. He's a rescue scuba diver and, prior to his experience, was a noted hunter on record as having killed one of the largest bears in North Carolina. In January 2007, Chris his son, and three of his subcontractors witnessed a series of terrifying sightings of unexplained phenomena. They were investigated by the organization MUFON and a scientist from the space industry. Their experience was featured on the Discovery Channel's 2008 series, UFOs Over Earth, The Fayetteville Incident. Chris currently lives in North Carolina with his wife Yvonne and their four children. He owns chickens and dogs and keeps a large garden. He loves backpacking and nature, and since his experience, Chris has given up on the sport of hunting. And directly from Fayetteville, North Carolina, I would like to introduce, for the first time on Veritas and Vox Populi, Christopher Bledsoe. Hello, Chris, and welcome. How are you? How are you, Mel? Uh, 
Appreciate you inviting me on. It's my pleasure. But before we, we dive into your case, Chris, I think it will be important for the audience to get to know you first. Tell us who you are, where you grew up. Tell us about your business experience and growing up in North Carolina. Well, um, I was born in October of 61, uh, south of Fayetteville, southeast of Fayetteville, about 20 miles or close to it out in the country. I live within a quarter of a mile where I was born, and my father lives within a half a mile where he was born, and his father before. All this land out here was uh, basically 100 years our family's been in this area, so I'm not new to Fayetteville. The construction business was something my father got into at an early age and in his late teens, hating farming and of course, I cropped tobacco and, and worked in the farm uh, with my grandfather and worked with my dad when when um, farm, the crops were, were in the field. So I ended up uh, getting out of high school, couldn't afford to go to college in those days. So uh, I went right into the construction business and worked with my dad, and he is... Um, he lives next door to me to this day. He still does a little construction, but I took the business to a new level. Basically, we were building 100 homes a year. Um, for many years there, we did. And I got very sick with Crohn's disease in the 80s, and it nearly killed me. And the doctors told me if I didn't get rid of this business, it was going to get rid of me. So. I sold out uh, the construction business while I was in the bed, believe it or not. I, I was very sick with Crohn's to the point where the accountants and, and all were at my bedside when I was discussing the deal. What is Crohn's for those who don't know? Well, it's hard to understand or explain what it is, but it's a, it's a debilitating intestinal digestive disease that will you can't eat anything nothing's it zaps the life from you basically it's, it's like a cancer you pray for good days and just hope you have a good day and i'll get into that but to to this day uh, i don't have it anymore it was it was well the day i was abducted i was healed from it so huh okay and as a successful developer, how did this, and we'll, we'll, we'll jump a little bit because I want to just talk about the overview first of the event and then we'll go in chronological order. This happened, if I remember correctly, January the 8th, 2007. That's two days after my daughter was born. Tell us what happened that day before the event. Well, um, like I said, I've retired from from being sick, sold this company in 2005, and pretty much just became bored, needing something to do, was still very sick, but my father, actually a brother-in-law, had a home down on the coast that he needed help, and my dad taught me into to taking my son during the summer and 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 going down and and helping out on this house so i actually was doing a little bit of work consulting helping this big project along kind of part-time and the guys that worked 
uh, as subcontractors for us then um, was finishing up on that house. And I had, it was like a Monday or Tuesday, I think, the, the 8th of 07 was, was during the week. But earlier Friday, I had, I was at the job site and told them when they got finished up, uh, we'd performed a walkthrough inspection to come by and I'd see to it that they got their money. So that's kind of what started it all. But Chris Jr. and I was at home that day, and it was about lunchtime, I guess. These guys drive up and was excited to be done and finally be home because they'd been gone for three or four months down to the coast. And so we got them paid, and they went along to the to the bank and called back and said, hey, we want to go fishing, and invited me to go. And Chris Jr. and I, so. How old was Chris Jr. at the time? He was 17. Okay. And so he, uh, they actually needed me because I had the only four-wheel drive truck. And it was a pretty nasty road going down to the river to sit on the bank where these guys like to go. So, But that's kind of how it, how it started. So, oh, okay. So... You all got in the truck. How many were you? There were three three men and my son. There were five of us total. We were in a four-door four pickup truck. So it was you, your son, and three subcontractors. That's correct. Okay. So you picked them up, and you started driving towards the fishing area. That's right. The fishing area is about two miles from where they live. And they're kind of kind of in between where I live and the river. They're like not very far out of the way to, to pick them up on the way, you might say. Was that a very secluded area? Well, the river is just for where we go. It's, it's farmland, and there's a there's a, a paved road called Marsh Road, and it was along about two thirty when we when we arrived at the, the river. But Marsh Road is a paved road, and if you imagine looking over and seeing a big field, like a sort of like a cornfield, mm -hmm. and the dirt road that crosses that cornfield to a tree line, and when you get across this 200-yard field wide to the trees, then the road dies down through the woods a quarter of a mile and makes one turn, and it, it stops at a dead end about a half acre size large grassy area where you know people would camp and park alongside the river sometimes swimming just a recreation area private private place mm -hmm. so we arrived there about 2:30 and it was a cool day i'd say 50s maybe not not really cold but cool and of course i wasn't all that into to fish, and I'm just glad to be out of the house. And Chris Jr. was enjoying himself. He was fishing with these other three gentlemen. So long about 4 o'clock, I was a bit bored. I big into hunting in those days. I used to hunt a lot. And I just mentioned to these guys, I'm, look, I'm going to walk on down in the woods further on in and see if I can spot some wildlife before it gets too dark. So I walked down in the woods about a quarter of a mile or less, you know, two, three hundred yards maybe. Found me a big old oak tree on a ravine, a gully that spills into the river. 
and it started getting dark in the forest. It gets dark quicker than it does if you're out in the open, of course, and I didn't have a flashlight, so I made my way on out. Didn't see anything. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. Just, just you know, nothing out of the ordinary. It came on out to where these gentlemen were fishing, and it was still daylight. The, the sun was about top of the trees. And I mentioned to them, I said, look, you guys ready to go home or you want to fish some more? And they're like, well, we want to fish. We just you know, just got here at 2.30 and it's like 5.30 or 5 o'clock about this time. And in, in January, it gets dark pretty quick, yeah. you know, just after 5, 5.30. So I said, well, look, let's get some firewood together. It's going to get cold tonight. Let's get a fire going. Um while we can still see. So everybody laid their rod and reels down, and the five of us kind of scurried along the edge of this grassy area and picking up deadfall. Made a huge pile of dead firewood, um, just pieces of wood, all sizes, and started a fire up, and it still had a little bit of daylight. So I said, look, I'm going to walk up to the field. Um maybe get a glimpse of a flock of turkeys or coyote or deer or something come out in this cornfield. And at that time, it was it was more of a field. There's a few houses built in there now. But So I parted away from the guys. They had a fire going at their back. They are facing the river, and the fire's at their back. And I'm telling them goodbye. I'll see you back in just a short, in a little bit, just after dark. The road, like I say, going back out the way we drove in, back toward Horsetail Road, is a muddy, extremely muddy ruts. It has a lot of ruts in it that are a foot deep, and truck just wallows around in it as it goes up and down this hill. There's an elevation increase of probably, I'd guess, 80 or 100 feet, maybe from where we were fishing at the river to the field up top. You can't see this field until you get right up near the top of this hill. So I left away. I guess I got 50 feet from where the guys were at the fire and entered back into this road going back towards the field. This road's overgrown real bad over top, and the bushes are really thick along the sides, uh, real tight in that one spot where the mirrors on my truck would kind of scrub the bushes going in and out. Hmm. So as I start walking through this particular area, I hear something in the forest on my left side. Didn't know what it was. I thought maybe a deer or something. So I stopped looking for it. It stops. So I didn't think, you know, normal about this. So I walk on another piece. And it starts walking again. And after the third time of me stopping and it stopping, and when I'd start it start, I got the chills real bad. And I, it takes a lot to excite me in the forest. But I'd, I had pretty much ruled out of anything that I knew of that would stop when I'd stop. So <laughs> here I am uh, halfway up this road, which is only a quarter of a mile. And I have, I'm kind of in the dark part of it. I'm totally unnerved by what I'm hearing in those woods. And I'm on my knees looking under the best I can 
through this thick stuff. And keep in mind it's on the river. There's not a sound of a bird, a bug, a wind, uh, anything. And it's January, so the leaves are crackly and very loud. The, the noise just echoes down through that river bottom. So it was, it was really... It was really frightening, I'd have to say. So I get to the halfway point of, of being totally focused on what is this in the woods, and I can start to see the road opens up. It makes a 90-degree turn towards the west, and which is facing the sun, right? So the, the light has opened up on the road sump, and the noise has stopped. So I start hurrying my way towards the top of this hill, trying to put out what I was hearing in there because it really disturbed me, I had to say. Now, I'll tell you what it was later. I didn't know at that time. But when I get to the, just about to the top of the hill, Mel, I mean just short of the top, I begin to see, um, first glimpse, I thought it was the sun at the top of the trees. And as I said, I'm... Climbing up the hill, the tops of the trees on the far side of the field begin to come more visible. And at that point, I realize the sun is behind the trees. It's still daylight, but there's two things floating above the trees on the far side of the field. And I would guess they were a thousand feet off the ground, maybe, at the most. Being a pilot, I can tell you I'm not too far off. They were probably a quarter of a mile past the back side of that field, which was 200 yards wide. But they looked like setting suns, both of them. Huge, 40 feet or more around. They're side by side, and they're orange, tangerine orange, just like the sun when you can look at it in the morning, and it doesn't hurt your eyes. And it's just magnificent. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way these two craft were. Well, I'm not quite to the top of the hill. And when I see this, I'm getting excited talking about it. It just gets me all stirred up. I start up this hill, and I see this thing, these two craft. I'm trying to to digest what it is, and I knew. I'm telling you, I knew what it was. I knew it wasn't anything that we had. I thought myself, darn, I have walked up on, on I mean... I knew it was a UFO. I knew it. And I had, before this time, I've been a builder, a father of four children, a deacon in the church, and never thought of a UFO. Never crossed my mind. But when I saw these, the fear just overtook me. So I immediately squatted down, using the heel in front of me to shield me from these things. I could bend down low, and I couldn't see them. So I thought, darn, I'm looking back down like I'm fixing to run. And when I pop my head back up to look back at these objects, it looks as if the sky opens up. Um, All I can say, it was dark, a dark hole. And another one of these objects shoot out and zoom up within a second or two. And it's sitting right beside the other two. I mean, to the far side. They had to go further to get to where it stopped. But I... 
Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.